Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Good. <laughs> Me too. We're going on a trip tomorrow. By the time you guys hear this, we'll be back. Yes, exactly. Yeah. we're. I'm a little in that pre-trip mode. Right. Everybody, know, everybody knows that mode. I don't really have to even explain it, but you know, you just get in that stress mode when you're about to go out of town and you have to get things ready and things ready for your kids if they're not coming with yep. you. And it's just a lot of things. But yeah, I'm super excited. We are going out of town because, and I don't think we even mentioned this one no. time before this episode. We, we normally never do. We really keep things close to the best. <laughs> I know, we really do. Yeah. Um, but surprise, Melissa and I were invited to be a part of podcast movement this year. So it's in Nashville and it is it's this weekend. Well, actually, by the time you listen to this, you've already missed it. So we did a terrible Sorry. job of announcing that we were going to be there. But we are or we did. And yeah, we're super excited to go. We're leaving tomorrow. So we are both kind of in the same boat, I think. But I'm doing well and very happy. Oh, yeah. I just looked down at my hands and I have my hands clasped, you know, like my fist gripped like Arthur in the cartoon, you know, like the angry fist. Like <laughs> That's how clenched my fists are. And I think it's a stress thing getting everybody ready and like washing kids clothes and like 
they're not coming with me, but I know that if they don't have clean clothes, right. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> it's getting all those little fun things done and then overpacking because you don't know what you're going to want to wear and what if you change your mind and of then course. shoes, are these going to be comfortable? I need to be comfortable. And then, you know, throw in my Rothy's, of course hat tip to Rothy's and you know (laughs) but it's gonna be so much fun I'm very very excited we leave tomorrow and we get to fly together last time we flew together we went to New Orleans and that flight was terrifying and crazy and um (laughs) very hopeful last time we went on a trip a tree frog was in my room in my bed do you remember that and yes and Melissa is not Melissa is not a frog person my husband's even less of one but I made him deal with it (laughs) Do you remember that one time you were at my house and oh. we were by the pool and there was yes. a really big the opaque opaque ones? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much. The <laughs> amount of times um like ring has caught me like jumping away from a frog or like slamming my head into the door, like trying <laughs> to get away from a lizard. It's it really could be its own like uh funniest home videos, but just ring edition. That that would actually be a good show. It would TM, be. TM, trademarking this. This is our idea. <laughs> we have a new show. Wait, Rings, I think they funniest have. Funniest videos. Surely. We're gonna TM, 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 we're gonna you look can't steal it from us. <laughs> we're going to look that up before we release this before episode. We release this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something there. <laughs> I know. This is like the most excited I've been. My hands aren't even clenched anymore. <laughs> All right, guys. So we do have a new story here for you this week. And I guess we're just going to get right into it. That After was, that intro. That was quite <laughs> that, that was quite an exciting intro for us. There was a lot of laughter and joy. <laughs> and tree frogs. Yeah, and tree frogs. All right. So we'll get right into it for this week. I think most people can look back fondly on memories of their first love or really even just any of those silly school age crushes that we all had growing up. Many people find lifelong love before they're even adults, and they go on to become lasting high school sweethearts. Not to get too sappy here, but puppy love and young love are some of life's greatest joys, and most of us don't realize how great and innocent it really is until we're older and everything has lost its luster. Unfortunately, not every high school love story is something ripped from the pages of a fairy tale, though. Intimate partner violence isn't reserved just for adults. Teen dating violence is also a very real thing that affects millions of teens in the U.S. This type of dating violence can include physical violence, sexual violence, psychological aggression, and stalking. One in 11 female teens and approximately one in 14 male teens have reported physical dating violence in the last year, according to the CDC. And one in eight female teens have experienced sexual dating violence in the last year. This week happened in the 80s when domestic violence and dating violence weren't talked about much and there weren't as many resources available to help the victims of abusive relationships and to help the abusers overcome their angry outbursts. It was in the early 80s when high school students Karen Ermert and Mark Willie met while hanging out at the local mall in Fairfax, Virginia. If love at first sight was a thing, Mark seemed to be experiencing that whenever he saw Karen for the first time. It was really no question why Karen had this natural beauty about her that caught the attention and turned the heads of many of her peers. She was described by author Jean Weingarten as being, quote, effortlessly beautiful with a broad, intelligent face under feather blonde hair, end quote. Jean Weingarten actually uh, wrote a lot about this story, and a lot of the source materials we have for this story are from things from his research. Karen evidently gave other girls hair envy with her naturally feathered 80s hair, the same style that 
women of that era paid really good money for in a salon or you asked your mom to cut for you in your hair and it did not turn out so effortlessly beautiful. Ask I me how I know. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> Ask my mom's photo album how I know. Yeah, it's that's a it's a tough look, but Karen evidently could really pull it off. She was beautiful. But not only was Karen a conventionally attractive young lady, she had a real spitfire of a personality. Karen was hilarious in the quick-witted kind of way. She said things that were really spontaneously funny. But Karen was also very strong-willed and mischievous and had a stubbornness about her that managed to come across as charming. She really was all those things wrapped into one. I love that. Karen was born in Fairfax in May of 1967 to parents Gunter and Ursula, who came to the U.S. from Germany in the 1960s. When Karen was just 12 years old, her dad passed away, which brought her relationship with her mother, Ursula, even closer. Although Karen was born and raised in the United States, she grew up hearing her parents speak German, and she too was fluent in their native language. Karen was also very musically talented, and she enjoyed playing the flute and the piccolo. She was a free-spirited and happy teen, so it's no surprise that Mark wanted to know more about her after that first meeting. A relationship quickly forms between them, and Mark was really obsessed with his new girlfriend. He practically worshipped the ground she walked on, and he was over the moon excited and proud to have this beautiful girl in his arm. There were some differences in their personality that became evident very, very quickly. Mark was quite a bit more insecure than Karen, and he quickly went from innocently admiring her to really brooding over her every move. Karen eventually got accepted to a college in West Virginia, and she moved there after high school. But Mark actually guilt-tripped her about missing her and eventually talked her into dropping out and coming back to Fairfax to be with him. Karen got a job and started working while sharing an apartment with roommates. Mark was also working as an auto mechanic, but he was still living at home with his mom and dad. Once Karen was back in town, things only got worse, and Mark became even more jealous and possessive of her. He would do things like showing up at her job unannounced just to check in, and one time he even showed up not invited to one of Karen's office parties. He was really constantly making this fuss about Karen working in a place where other men worked, which is like everywhere. Right? <laughs> like, where like, can you really work? Yeah, you hear that though. And it's just like, that's literally, like you said, everywhere. Like there are we are everywhere. People are everywhere. It's crazy to even say like you have to limit your interaction to only one type of person. Like how right. could you even possibly? That's such a ridiculous and literally impossible expectation to put on somebody. Right. But it just goes to show kind of what his mindset was towards Karen and what their relationship really was like. Yeah. And this whole just this mindset, it's gone from innocent, you know, being attracted to her and liking her and all of this to obsessed with her and needs to know everything about what she's doing and doesn't like this that she's doing and all this. So it's very quickly turned into an abusive situation. Mark's jealousy eventually fueled an irrational need to have tabs on Karen at all times. He wanted to know where she was. He wanted to know what she was doing. And he definitely wanted to know who she was with. He would often get in his car and follow her to find out the answers to these questions. Mark also acted irrationally when he and Karen would be out together and any random stranger looked her way and smiled. If Karen would smile back or say hello, he would say to her, quote, what are you looking at them for, end quote. So it's obvious to us now that these behaviors were abusive because we've been taught more about what abuse can look like. Gene Weingarten later wrote, quote, Mark was a young man who was furiously in love with a young woman, and I'm using the word furiously deliberately. He was what we would now call a stalker, end quote. 
So keep in mind, we're talking about very young adults at this time. They are still under 20 years old in this relationship. And again, this story takes place in the, in the 80s where we didn't really know much about, if really anything, about dating violence. So some of these things, I I mean, I can remember back whenever I was younger, if somebody was really into you and they wanted to know what you were doing and there was like this, oh, what, you know, who are you with and blah, blah, blah. And they're just so jealous. Like those behaviors aren't right. great. That's not right. a good thing. And we didn't even, we didn't know that when I was even younger. I mean, in the right. 80s, it's a whole different ballgame. For sure. So Mark's various abusive behaviors would always increase when alcohol was in the picture. Mark loved his whiskey, but whiskey did not love him. He would get very paranoid and defensive over everything and would turn into just this really awful and angry drunk. Karen was strong-willed, as we said, so she wasn't the type of girlfriend who was just going to stand by while Mark acted belligerent and walked all over her. She had no qualms about going toe-to-toe with him and would indulge him in these arguments that would lead to Mark getting angrier and angrier. The couple's fighting was a serious problem. Karen ended up going to the hospital multiple times after they got into physical fights and she tried to defend herself. Mark was growing more and more comfortable as time passed with doling out this abuse, and one time he hit her simply because she wanted to get out of the car and he didn't want her to. Hmm. But the abuse was not unnoticed by those who knew the couple. Mark's friend Rich witnessed the abuse firsthand, and it made him so upset that he eventually ended his friendship with Mark over it, which is really, really tough, right? Because you have a friend that maybe you never saw this side of them before, and now all of a sudden he's got this girlfriend, and he's treating her really poorly, you know, and you are just kind of like, I don't know what to do, but I know that this is not right, and I'm not going to support this. Karen's mom, Ursula, also noticed the signs of abuse and tried to talk to Karen about Mark and about what was going on within their relationship. But Karen was really independent, and she didn't like to be pushed or prodded too much. So she didn't really like it when her mom brought up these concerns and tried to kind of pry into the details of what was going on. There was one time that Ursula tried to get Mark's parents involved. She called them up and told them that she was going to hold them responsible if their son hurt Karen again. But Mark was actually listening on another phone, and he told Ursula to mind her business. Karen ended up writing a letter to her mom telling her to mind her business and to quit interfering in her life, which, again, this is like these are now we know that these are red flags. Like you can clearly see that Karen is being manipulated by this person. But it's crazy to think that in 40 years, like things have changed that much in terms of what we kind of know now and are are able to recognize as early signs that something is really not okay here. Right. And there was a lot of them in this relationship as the story goes on that we can see this progressing. Yeah. So despite the obvious problems, Karen continued a relationship with Mark, but by December of 1986, she decided to end it. They'd been together for almost two years at that point and things were just incredibly hostile and she decided she just couldn't take it anymore. Karen told her mom, Ursula, that she wanted to start planning a breakup, and Ursula was all too happy to help with the details. Their plan was that Karen would tell Mark the half-truth, which was that she got a job working at Dulles International Airport for the German military, but that she was too busy studying German to be able to continue a relationship. And that's the part that wasn't true. Karen was actually fluent in Germany, as we talked about earlier. 
The theory with this being the excuse was that it wouldn't be so much of a personal rejection uh, towards Mark, and since Karen wouldn't have the time to date anyone, then hopefully Mark wouldn't have anything to be jealous about, and he wouldn't make a big deal of it. So it would kind of be like, oh, this is an occupational thing, can't really help it, I'm super busy, but if I'm super busy, I can't date you, I can't date anyone, so maybe we can just end things. And so we're not sure if this was part of the plan or if it just worked out this way coincidentally, but it was Christmas evening of 1986 when Karen broke the news to Mark that she was ending things. Mark had actually made her a table as a Christmas gift, and she returned the table during the breakup. After Karen broke things off with Mark, she immediately called his former friend Rich, the one who actually stopped being Mark's friend due to the abuse that he had personally witnessed. Karen told Rich that she had just broke things off with Mark and... She confessed that she actually had a crush on Rich. She said, quote, I broke up with Mark. I'm in my apartment all by myself. My roommates are gone. Come over and keep me company, end quote. Rich was really surprised, but he was also excited because he also had a crush on Karen. So he went over that night and hung out with her. Karen and Rich spent the whole night together talking and having a really great time. They had immediate chemistry, and in Rich's words, they fell right into step. Rich actually wondered if maybe he found this potential life partner in Karen. He always really liked Karen, and he hated to see her with a guy like Mark. He thought of Karen as being everything he ever wanted, and he felt so happy that he was getting a chance at showing her his affection. At one point in the evening, while Rich was at Karen's, Mark called and spoke briefly on the phone to Karen. Karen told him on the phone that she was serious. Things were over between the two of them. She said there was no chance she'd ever get back together with him and that she was through putting up with his abuse. Finally, Karen told Mark that she didn't ever want to see him again. Mark became enraged on this call and began yelling at Karen, angrily screaming that he was going to kill her. Karen, though, really paid him no mind, and she laughed him off. Rich said he thought Karen felt a sense of relief and felt like, quote, yes, I'm finally done with this, end quote. She was really at peace with this breakup. And we're going to get back into so much more of the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Vacations are needed now more than ever, but the actual planning of a vacation is not my idea of a good time. Everything from where I want to go to what I want to do and where I want to stay It's all a hassle. By the time I've opened up my browsers to get started, the only thing I'm ready for is a nap. But thanks to Apple Vacations, when I want to schedule my next family getaway, they're there to help me get it all planned. Apple Vacations is your one-stop shop for the summer vacation of your dreams. Apple Vacations has been around for more than 50 years and is known as America's favorite vacation company for good reason. They want to help you plan affordable and top-quality vacation packages with packages including round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations, meals, drinks, entertainment, and tips. Vacations are fun, but planning isn't. But Apple Vacations can at least make the planning easy. With destinations throughout Mexico, the Caribbean, and even Central and South America and Hawaii, there's no need to open 50 tabs on your browser to do it yourself when the great folks at Apple Vacations literally do this for a living. And because life can be unpredictable, you can book confidently when you add Travel Protection Plus to your trip, which means you can cancel or change your reservation at no additional change fees. For a limited time, you can take $75 off your stay at Live Aqua located in Cancun or Punta Cana with promo code SAND75. Go to applevacations.com slash moms-murder to get this steal of a deal to your favorite Live Aqua in Cancun or Punta Cana today. While my kids don't always get the value of a good night's sleep, 
I sure do. And I know how important it will be during the school year for all of us to be well rested. And Sleep Number makes my dreams a reality. And even more than that, Sleep Number beds allow you to take charge of your sleep with their custom settings. I like a slightly softer bed, so I'm sleeping great at a sleep number 30, while on the other side of the bed, my husband likes his side a little firmer at a 40. And if you aren't sure where to start, you can visit a sleep number store where you'll get the VIP treatment and the employees will make sure you find the perfect bed just for you by trying out all the beds available in the store. I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to check out different bed options, and the one I landed on I refer to as my cloud bed because it feels just like sleeping on a fluffy cloud. I discovered that my perfect sleep number setting is a 30, just like Melissa, but occasionally I even go down to a 25 for an even softer, fluffier experience. And sleep number really makes delivery so, so simple. I was given a window for the delivery and the guys that came to deliver it even helped us move our old bed to my daughter's room. They took the time to explain all the functions to me, including things like the snore button and my favorite, zero gravity. All of this together helps me get an amazing night's sleep, which literally helps everything, including decreasing anxiety overnight by reorganizing connections in the brain. Right now, Sleep Number is having their biggest sale of the year, so make sure you check them out. Discover the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed. Special offers for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about how Karen had broke off things with her boyfriend, Mark, on Christmas night in 1986, and Mark was really upset about this breakup going down. He, as we said before, was very obsessed with Karen and really was interested in what she was doing every minute of every day. So this breakup, of course, did not go over. Things were made a little more interesting because after the breakup, Karen started hanging out with one of Mark's former friends. The next morning was the day after Christmas, and Karen and Rich spent the early part of the day together at his house. Karen called her mom to fill her in on what happened and told her that she finally did it. She broke up with Mark. Karen's mom, of course, was happy to hear that things were ended between the two of them because she knew about Mark's abusive behavior, but she was still concerned that this was not going to be the end of it. She asked Karen, you know, what did Mark say? What was his reaction when this breakup happened? And Karen told her mom that Mark, of course, was angry, and he said that he was going to kill her. But Karen wasn't taking that very seriously. Ursula was concerned about that little remark. And given Mark's history of abuse, she thought it was scary that he would even say something like that. She urged Karen to just come stay with her for a few days, but Karen said she was fine and she didn't need to do that, but she promised to call her mom if she had any problems later. Karen decided to hang out with Rich again on the night of December 26th. Rich had to wake up early at 3 o'clock in the morning the next day to go on a ski trip that he already had planned, so Karen just hung out at his house until around midnight before she went home to her apartment. At this point, Rich said that he would rather stay with her and spend the time with her than go on this trip, but he felt obligated to go because he already made these plans with his friends. Karen and Rich said their goodbyes, and they made plans to see each other on December 28th when Rich got back into town. Little did either of them know, but Mark had somehow found out that Karen and Rich were palling around, and he was not happy about it. While Karen was still on her way home from Rich's house that night, Mark called her apartment looking for her and talked to Karen's roommate, Christine. Mark told Christine that he felt so betrayed by Karen and Rich, and he was angry and depressed over the whole situation. 
While they were talking, Karen got home and she took over the phone. She quickly ended the call with Mark and then went and took a bath and got herself ready for bed. Karen had not been taking Mark seriously, and in his eyes, she didn't care about his emotions. Karen got off the phone with him that night. He sat up contemplating his next move. He decided that he had two options, to win Karen back or to kill her and then kill himself. Mark drafted a suicide note and left it on his bed. It was about 2 a.m. on December 27th when Mark took a bottle of whiskey and a 22 caliber rifle and drove to Karen's apartment in a drunken rage. When Mark arrived at the apartment building, he parked his car around the side and then walked up to the back of the building. He climbed up a tree first and then climbed onto Karen's balcony, where he hid the rifle before knocking on Karen's balcony door. Karen opens the door for Mark and they get into a really heated argument. We can now only theorize what happened, but it's believed that at some point in this argument, Mark realized that he's never going to convince Karen to get back together with him, so he goes back to the balcony, grabs the rifle that he hid out there. When Mark went back inside the apartment, he immediately fired five shots at Karen, hitting her three times in the head and neck, killing her instantly. Karen's roommate Christine was in the apartment at the time, and she sees this and she runs out. A neighbor who heard the gunshots called it in, and Officer Ed Vaughn was the first to respond to the scene. When he got there, the front door to the apartment was locked, so Officer Vaughn looked around the back and saw that there was a balcony that could be reached by climbing a tree or the downspout. Other officers quickly arrived on the scene, and they rushed to the front door and banged on it. From outside the apartment, the officers all heard a single gunshot, so they rushed to the front door and made their way inside. Inside the apartment, officers found Mark with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the forehead. It was discovered that his heart was still beating, despite the fact that the bullet had passed through both hemispheres of his brain. Mark was completely brain dead, but his other vital organs were still alive. A tube was put down his throat to keep his heart going while he was transported to the Fairfax Hospital, where he was placed on machines to keep his heart pumping for the next 26 hours. At Karen's apartment, officers and paramedics also found her body. At 2 a.m., Karen's mom was suddenly awakened by the sound of the phone ringing, but when she picked it up, there was just a dial tone. Ursula later said that she may have been dreaming that the phone was ringing, but either way, something told her to call Karen's apartment. To her shock and surprise, Detective Lee answered the phone. When Ursula asked what was wrong and why he was in her daughter's apartment, the officer told Ursula that he couldn't tell her over the phone, so Ursula got dressed and drove over to Karen's. When she arrived, Detective Lee told her the heartbreaking news. He said it was the saddest thing he had ever had to do as a police officer. Karen's mom was totally shattered whenever she learned that Mark had actually murdered her daughter. After her death, when Ursula was helping to gather Karen's belongings, she found some notes that Mark had written to Karen. In these notes, it was clear that he had been watching Karen's every move, and if she wasn't always exactly where Mark thought she should be, he would leave her a note about it. These notes provided a real glimpse into Mark's jealous and controlling and stalking behavior. One of the notes read, quote, I took a shower and dressed up and did everything I could maybe to look halfway as nice as all the gorgeous guys you see every day. I would just kill to look as good as them and to be able to catch your eye. Karen, I'm really hurting. In fact, I'm starting to cry. Where are you? Did you go out to eat? I feel like a fool that's been stood up. I love you so much. If words could be put on paper to describe how much, there wouldn't be enough paper. I'm going to call your house again. Karen, if you want to go out with some other guy, please tell me. It would hurt less if I found out that way. Love, Mark. End quote. Another note read, quote, 
Karen, where are you? I'm really worried. First thing I thought was that you stopped for dinner, but I know that you would have the courtesy to call me so I would not sit here and worry like this. I'm always worried about you being in an accident because I would be the last to hear. God, if you aren't okay, I'll kill myself. You don't know what you mean to me, end quote. I feel like the word gaslighting gets thrown around a lot, but yeah. I feel like this is the yes. definition textbook yeah. gaslighting. Just all yeah. this, you're doing this and it's hurting me and I'm scared only because I love you and if right. this happens, I'm going to kill myself. Just, whoa, that's so much to put on somebody. Absolutely. It's a ton. So as tragic and upsetting as the story already is, and as much as we wish Karen was still alive today, this is one story that actually does have somewhat of a happy ending. When Mark's parents arrived at Fairfax Hospital after the shooting, they were informed that their son was totally brain dead, but that his heart was still beating. The hospital's transplant coordinator spoke with them and asked for their permission to donate Mark's heart to a patient who was a 20-year-old woman in need of a transplant. Now, here's the thing about heart transplants in the mid-1980s. They weren't really a widely practiced thing. The first ever successful heart transplant was done in 1967 in Cape Town, South Africa, by a doctor named Christian Barnard. His patient ended up dying 18 days later, but the doctor tried again with a new patient who ended up living for 19 months after the transplant, although he did have health issues for the majority of the time. Shortly after these attempts, an American doctor attempted a transplant, but the patient only lived for six hours, so they weren't really great results. As the years passed, the survival rates increased, but the results of heart transplants were overall still not very good. It was more often than not that a body would reject the new organ. Eventually, it got to a point where heart transplants were reserved only for special circumstances, and the procedure as a whole was used sparingly for years before pretty much coming to a complete stop until in 1983 when an anti-rejection drug was released into the market. This completely changed the game for transplantation. After this drug came out, heart transplants began again, but only really in big teaching hospitals. It's truly incredible to think about the doctors and the surgeons who pioneered things like heart transplants because for a very long time, this was something that wasn't even taught in medical wow. school, which, yeah, it's just crazy to think about people who experimented and, and really did this and paved the way for doctors today. So the 20-year-old woman that was in need of a heart transplant was named Eva Baisley, and she just happened to be lucky enough to be under the care of Dr. Ed Lefrac, who was the chief of cardiac surgery at the Fairfax Hospital. Dr. Lefrac was a highly regarded surgeon who felt passionate about being able to provide transplants to patients in need. In 1985, though, this was a very uncommon surgery, and it was actually illegal to perform them. So for years, Dr. Lefrac fought with local health agencies for permission to even perform transplants. He was always told no and that there wasn't enough of a demand for this. Dr. Lefrac did not give up, though. For two years, he and his surgical team would spend their free time practicing heart transplants on bodies in the morgue. They did obtain permission from these families, but he literally taught himself and an entire surgery Incredible. team how to do heart transplants on human cadavers. Like, that's just amazing, amazing, amazing. So eventually, Dr. Lefrac came up with a plan to get the South African doctor, Christian Barnard, to lobby the state health commissioner on Dr. Lefrac's behalf. Dr. Barnard spoke before the commissioner in March of 1986 and said that it would be, quote, immoral to not permit a qualified surgeon like Dr. Lefrac to do this surgery, end quote. 
The commissioner ended up giving his permission, and it was up to Dr. Lefrac to find the perfect patient. In the meantime, he and his team began obtaining the necessary supplies for heart transplant surgery, such as a cooler for the organ. So this is a fun fact. One of the nurses on the surgical team actually brought in an igloo cooler from her house that was going to be used to oh my keep gosh. this heart on ice. So, yeah, this is just incredible. It just goes to show how not advanced things were, you know, in this field back then where they're like, we know we need a cooler. We know we have to keep it on ice, but we don't have a cooler. Let's just use any cooler that anyone has. Right. Like, it's just that would never I'll happen now. <laughs> I'll dump the beers out for our trip to the lake this weekend and I'll I'll bring you the igloo that we have. <laughs> That's yeah. <so> crazy. <laughs> so several months after Dr. Lefrac was granted permission to perform a heart transplant, this 20-year-old woman that we mentioned, Eva Baisley, was approved as a recipient and sent to the same hospital where Dr. Lefrac worked. Eva was a nursing student with just a few more credits needed to graduate, and she was also a single mom to two babies under the age of two. Back in October of 1985, Eva suddenly fell ill and she couldn't walk more than a couple feet without wheezing. Walking even a block would take her an hour and climbing stairs was like climbing a mountain to her. Eva was diagnosed with idiopathic cardiomyopathy. In layman's terms, her heart was failing and they didn't know why. At just 19 years old, doctors were telling Eva that without a heart transplant soon, she would die. Now that Eva was on the approved recipient list, she just had to wait for a donor and hope that she made it long enough for the chance to have a new heart. As the months passed, Eva got sicker and sicker and more weak every day. Dr. Lefrac was committed to finding a heart for her and performing this transplant. He even canceled his family's ski trip that year just in case a heart became available. He wanted to make sure that he was there and didn't miss the opportunity if something wow. did become available. About three weeks after being placed on the approved list, Dr. Lefrac finally got the call that they had all been waiting for. They had a donor for Eva. As it turned out, Mark Willie was a match as a donor, and with his parents having given their permission, everything was all set for Dr. Lefrac and his team to perform this history-making operation. And we're going to get right back into the details after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. You've got the fiance, you've got the ring, but now what do you need to do? Oh, that's right, literally everything. But thanks to Zola, everything with your wedding can be handled. Zola's here to make planning your big day easier and less stressful by putting together everything a couple would need all at your fingertips. They're those things that you know you need like the invitations and vendors, but what about those things like a wedding website or a wedding registry? Zola has you covered right from the start. It's easy to see why over 1 million couples are totally obsessed with Zola. And Zola knows planning a wedding can get very expensive, and they want to help save you money. Zola tools are totally free to use, plus they even have free guest addressing, plus free shipping and returns every day. Planning your wedding should be one of the most fun and exciting things you get to do as an adult. Don't ruin your good time by being overwhelmed when Zola is just a click away. My wedding day is a blur, but I remember so much about the stress of planning the big day. All the little details and calls and emails I had to make. I only wish Zola had been around back then to take some of the pressure off. One of the things that really makes me envious of you new spouses-to-be is that Zola even pre-screens vendors, so you can answer a few simple questions about what you need and what you're looking for, and they can help you match and find the perfect vendor. See what all those five-star reviews are about. Go to Zola.com moms today and use promo code SAVE50. 
That's save five zero to get 50% off your save the dates. For peace of mind, you'll receive free change the dates with your purchase. That's Zola.com slash moms. Promo code save 50. We're all true crime fans here, and I bet we'd all like to think that given the opportunity, we could even solve a crime ourselves. With the Cold Case series, you now have that chance. Think Fun presents the Cold Case series, where either on your own or with a group of friends, you can comb through the evidence of the decades-old fictional murder of Andy Bailey, a 23-year-old investigative reporter who was found shot to death in England. The Cold Case box includes crime scene photos, witness statements, coroner reports, and anything else you might need to put together who did this. This game is suggested for 14 and up and can be either a single player game or you can play with a group of friends. So I can't wait to take this on with my daughter to try and solve this case together. If you're a fan of escape rooms or a true crime podcast, hey, that's us. You'll really love playing this. Once you've followed the clues and you think you know who did it, you can actually go online and submit your answers to check your detective skills. Order yours on Amazon and use promo code 30COLDCASE for 30% off. Again, order yours on Amazon and use promo code 30COLDCASE for 30% off. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Eva being approved for this heart transplant surgery and uh, Mark Willie actually being a match as a donor. So Dr. Lefrac knew nothing about Mark other than he had a gunshot wound to the head. He assembled this surgical team, and by 3 a.m., they were all in the hospital preparing for surgery. In total, there were four doctors, 11 nurses, a physician assistant, and two medical instrument operators. The team then went in and removed Mark's heart, and this process went very quick. It was about five minutes long. They essentially really cut it out with surgical scissors. The heart was then triple bagged and placed on ice in Nurse Mary's igloo cooler. 
Another fun fact, the human heart should not be outside of the body for more than four hours for the best results. So the coolers then carried down the hall from operating room 12 to operating room 6 where Eva was already prepared and waiting. The sense of anticipation that day was thick in the OR. Everyone's extremely nervous and excited and happy. It's kind of all over the place. So Dr. Lafrac carefully removed Eva's heart, which was only functioning at 15% capacity at this oh time. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, I mean, she was on days. She had no time left. I mean, this is just incredible. And so then he starts working for hours to sew Mark's heart into Eva's chest. Once the surgery was done, though, this was really the moment of truth. Would Eva's body accept this new heart? Usually this is the point in movies where the surgeons will use an electric shock to jumpstart the new heart and get it beating. But in this case, they didn't even need to do that. After a bit of massaging, Eva's new heart began beating on its own. I have literally chills. Yes, Yes. when I was reading it before, you know, when we were looking over this before I did, and now I just still do. It's just incredible. So Dr. Lafrac later said that he wasn't scared to perform the surgery because he'd done it many, many times in the morgue. I just, this man is my hero. I just- It just takes so much courage to even attempt something like this and to do it. It's just, it's amazing. It really is. It's a miracle. It's amazing. It is. And just that he was so dedicated. Just There just aren't enough people like this in the world where he's just like, I'm I'm going to be ready. Whenever it's finally approved, whenever it finally happens, I will be ready. On December 29th, Eva Baisley woke up with a healthy heart beating inside her body. Eva later said, quote, I just woke up. Like I just went to sleep that night and like any other night, you know, I had forgotten that I was sick when I woke up and I just wanted to go home the next day. I'm like, can I go home? I'm ready, end quote. But just because Eva's heart was beating didn't mean she was totally in the clear. Anti-rejection drugs were still needed to fool the body into accepting this heart as its own, which meant that Dr. Lafrac had to study and teach himself the ins and outs of anti-rejection therapies. He said this was a, quote, delicate balancing act of suppressing her immune system to prevent rejection without leaving her too vulnerable to infection, end quote. Eva had to spend a long time in the hospital recovering from the transplant, and she had multiple rejection scares where Dr. Lafrac and his team were worried they were going to lose her. Eva was actually placed in quarantine to protect her from being infected, and everyone who went into her room had to suit up in booties, head coverings, gowns, and other PPE. Eva was really sad and lonely during this time, and she really missed her children, who of course were not able to see her while she's in such a delicate state. Dr. Lafrac and the medical team did everything they could to be there for Eva even just sitting with her to keep her company and bringing her things from the house. One day, Eva was really upset and told the nurse that, you know, she just wants to go outside and breathe fresh air. So the nurse actually cleaned out her own car, dressed Eva in a mask and gloves, and took her for a drive. And they even got McDonald's along the way, but they kept that part a secret. I love that. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) But because Dr. Lefrak was so new at performing heart transplants, Eva's surgery was done free of charge. Dr. Lafrac didn't feel right charging for maybe the first 10 or so transplants that the hospital did, but Eva also didn't have health insurance, and he was not about to even ask her to pay for any of that anyway, so she was not charged for the surgery. On February 14, 1987, Eva was finally allowed to leave the hospital, but her life was far from normal or even anything like it was the way before. Her life expectancy was still just one to five years, and she still had to be very, very careful. 
She could only see her kids for an hour a day at first due to the risk of infection, and she was told that, sadly, she would not be able to continue to pursue her dream of becoming a nurse herself because that would put her at too much of a health risk. Eva took up studying computer science and worked with machines. She made it her goal to raise her children and to stay alive until they were at least 18. As the years ticked by, it started to become clear that Eva was defying medical odds left and right. Five years after her transplant, Dr. Lafrac said that Eva was doing physically well enough that she could pursue a career in healthcare if she so desired. She did get a job in healthcare, and we are beyond happy to report that as of 2019, Ava is still alive and she is still working in healthcare, which, oh my goodness, it's like everything comes full circle. This is just like, I love this part of the story where she is still living and she's working in healthcare, helping others and saving lives. And oh my gosh, I just love this part. I love this type of an ending to a really horrific story. This is amazing. Eva has survived for 34 years since her heart transplant, making her one of the longest living transplant recipients ever. It is considered to be wildly successful if you get a heart transplant that grants you an additional 20 years of life. So 34 years and still going really is something, you know, it's really something to speak about. Especially having it done back in that time where the heart was put in an igloo cooler and things were, you know, obviously just you had no idea what the outcome was going to be. So truly amazing and just really speaks to Dr. Lefrac's work and the time that he put in to learn right. how to do this procedure. So Dr. Lefrac and Eva on that note are very important to each other, as you can imagine. They speak to each other every year on the anniversary of the surgery, December 28th, and they tell each other they love you and they're just very, very dear friends. Experts in the field have told Dr. Lefrac since that there's likely no more than six people in the entire U.S. who have lived as long as Eva after a heart transplant. In 2012, John Hopkins University did a study on the survival rate of heart transplant recipients between 1987 and 1999, and they found that out of 22,000 recipients, only about half of them lived longer than 10 years, and those who received their new heart before age 55 had a better chance of living longer than 10 years. One of the things that I find fascinating about this story is that up until 2019, Eva had no idea about the full story of where her new heart came from. She actually did not learn about most of this until the writer Jean Weingarten, who we've mentioned several times, wrote the book about Mark and Karen. And she said that, you know what? She doesn't care where her heart came from. She said, quote, it's just a heart. It's just an organ. It's not a murder organ. And it's just an organ that happened to save my life. End quote. Oh, my goodness. I just chills everywhere with this story. Following the transplant, Mark's father, Larry, said that he wasn't interested in meeting or knowing who received his son's heart. He said that it would be too awkward for him. So there is no connection or contact between Mark's family and Eva to this day. Yeah. You can understand that, though. I mean, coming from – it's amazing that they would allow the heart transplant, but you can see how it would have been a hard decision for them – With everything going on for them to have even done it. So I think that's the gift there. If they didn't want to meet her, that is understandable. And I don't think she's, you know, I think she's perfectly fine with how things worked out. But what an incredible story. And just Dr. Lefrac is just completely my hero. I'm just 
obsessed with this man. I don't know. There's just the dedication, the intelligence, the determination, just all of it. And also why I'm like, I've already talked to my husband and said I want to give my body to science because this is how things like this get done. Like whenever you die, like because somebody in the morgue says, yeah, you can work on my family member or whatever. These are how things happen. I don't know. I think science is amazing. I think it's – I don't understand it. Don't know what's going on. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I I don't know. This is – it's horrible for Karen's family. Of course, you know, everything her mom went through trying to stop this from, you know, ever happening – and Mark's family, you know, I know that had to be very hard for them. But to have this kind of an ending where somebody has a whole life from this is is incredible. It really is. And that's another thing I think about, too, with doctors, um, you know, and how they everyone always says, like, oh, it takes all kinds or it takes a special type, you know, to be a doctor or to become a doctor or be a good doctor, rather. And it's so true to think about. Like, it comes down to more than just education and more than just being smart and passing your tests in school and, you know, doing it academically. Of course, that's also important. But like I said before, the the courage it takes, I would not have the guts to perform a surgery like this because I would be too scared, I, you know, of, of what could go wrong. And but like you said, it's amazing. We need people that are willing to do this and that have it in them to do this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it just I've never before wanted to go and learn more about patients that a doctor has worked with. But it's like I want to know more stories of that this doctor yeah. you know has worked with people. I love those medical miracle stories. And like you mm-hmm. see, like I feel like there used to be TV shows about those. I don't I haven't seen. Them I think in it was a while. literally called medical miracles. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But you know, those marvelous medical stories and stuff like that. That might have been the name of the show. I don't know. But let me tell um, you, when my friend wants me to cry, she will send me one of two videos, either military homecoming or somebody listening to their kids heart in somebody else's uh, oh my gosh <laughs> yes i will I, listen to will this too <laughs> yes or like somebody getting hearing aids and hearing for the first oh, time gosh. or like any, like a any of those any mm-hmm. of those just immediate waterworks for me yeah. they just get me every time it's too much i cannot even handle it but yeah this was incredible i'm so glad we got to talk about this story me too. Okay, Melissa, are we ready to turn the page and move on to the last thing before we go to Nashville tomorrow? <laughs> Woohoo, yes. <laughs> last thing before we start editing for Nashville tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, um, our kids are going back to school next week. Yay. And um, I mean, yay. Wait, how do I do it? Less excited. Yay. I can't do it. Keeps getting higher. No, we're excited. They're, you know, it's great. Blah, blah, blah. So uh, that's on our minds. So I asked on uh, Twitter and Instagram, what like things from uh, your youth? Do you remember like the must have things, right? Like the Lisa Frank notebooks that you wanted to have before you started a school? Because kids always have that thing that they want to get, like a new pair of shoes, blah, blah, blah. So I pulled some from um, Instagram and Twitter. Mandy, I will read them to you. And I think you will enjoy some of these and maybe even be a little nostalgic. Did you have anything that you remember growing up like that you wanted Um, to have? Okay. Am I crazy or was it a thing that at one point Okay, so you know the pencils that were like, okay, you know, you had regular boring number two pencils and then you had pushy, what do you call mechanical pencil? Yes. But then do you remember the ones where like you pulled out the tip and like you just put it in the top and like every tip had like a new lead, but then it would go down. So you'd pull it out and then you would push it down and and it would push out a new one. Would you push the the eraser part and then you could kind of pull it out is that what you're saying kind of but there was no eraser because instead where the eraser was supposed to be it was a hole basically but you stack all these little somebody's gonna know what i'm talking about. i think somebody even wrote about it on instagram i had no idea what they were talking about but i think that's what it what it is 
Okay. There's just I a hole? To... <laughs> I'm going to Google it for you and send it okay, to you. Okay, Google it. Okay. What's the All next right. thing? Okay, so got several, so I'm just going to start from here. So on uh, Twitter, we got from the Surviving Sister Wives podcast, which is a great podcast if you're into uh, Sister Wives. They sent the pens that they said these pens that suck to write with. They're the colored pens with multiple colors on the top. So you push the little tab things. So oh, you yeah. change colors. Yeah. In theory, it's great, right? Like you can have all these different colors on one thing, but none of the uh, ink was ever any good. They and never like, worked. Right? And whoever needed to write with yellow ink, you couldn't even see anything. It's just a useless thing, but you wanted it. <laughs> I wanted one. I didn't get it. Oh, our friend uh, Jody with Reality TV podcast, she wrote the 64 crayon Crayola that had the um, sharpener in the back. Do you remember the ones with the... Yeah, and that was another thing that was a terrible invention because you could only sharpen one crayon before the thing got jammed and clogged and you could never use it again. And you could put your finger in there. I had maybe (laughs) done that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, um, but her note said, I wanted this so badly. Only the rich kids had them, though. I get that. I had the off-brand Crayola. I didn't have regular Crayola. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't have a built-in sharpener. Oh, Mandy, yeah, I think those were – okay, I see what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, I sent Melissa a picture of the little stacking tip. Oh, um, and just the tips come things. off. Yeah. What a and waste. It is such a waste. And there's like, it's so pointless, but it was one of those things when I was a kid. I was like, oh, I need those. Those are so cool. But it's like, why are they cool? It doesn't yeah. even make any sense. They're like, like why tiny does that little even... knives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just read a couple of these. Cage underscore not paper on Instagram said, one year my school required blow pens for a special project. Do you remember those? I, mean, I think Wait. my- I feel you know like what those are? I've heard, wait, I've done, I probably do. What is it? You pen? literally put your mouth up to Ew, it and no, blow no, 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 no. and it spits the oh, ink what? everywhere. Ew. I think she's young. I don't think this has been out that long. Um, okay. <laughs> no offense, Paige. Um, so anyway, she said uh, they did it for a special project. I don't think they ever tried it again. Kids were chasing each other around the room trying to oh, spray each no. other with ink. Yeah, that Can sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> terrible, terrible. Okay, let's see. Oh, original snap bracelets. Mega Barians. Um, original snap bracelets, not the remakes. Those were everything. They were. They were. I was going to say that they did remakes a couple years back, and they kind of came back in for a little bit, but I don't see them anymore, so that they must not have caught, caught on for round no. two. Okay, Mandy, I know you're going to like these. All right, ready? Melanie J605 on Instagram said gel pins. Butterfly yes. clips. I know you were a fan of those. And all the nasty lip smackers in soda or candy flavors. Oh my gosh, yes. Give me a disgusting lip smacker and I will use it until it's gone. I don't like Dr. Pepper drinks, but I used to love the Dr. Pepper flavor of yeah. uh, that. What's wrong with me? Was it you? Just chemicals. Somebody got me like a joke gift that they saw. It was like Chipotle flavors of Chapstick. Seems like something I would do. No, but I love that. Oh, darn. I never good. opened them. I never – that's one I didn't use. Some They gave them to – whoever gave them to me was like a weird time. I threw them in a box and I don't know where they are, but I still have them somewhere. When I come across them, I might try it. <laughs> oh, like cilantro and stuff? Yeah, oh. yeah. Like, and I think one of them was like spicy. I was like, okay, so you're just going to like for no reason, not even having food, just put spicy on your lips? Like – No. It seems it wasn't a little me. strange. No, if I see avocado stuff, I get that for you. That's about it. Okay, um, Mookie's oh, – why am I trying to even read these on Instagram? Mookie's by AJ. All right. Um, I love the Trapper Keepers, but I was also excited about getting a new cute lunchbox. I had a blue Smurfs, Smurfs one that I still have. 
I I didn't have a trapper keeper, but I wanted one. I love the What's noise a it made. Keeper, stop it right <laughs> now. This is oh, Mandy. A tra- this is really hard for me to hear. Wait, it's like a binder with a jacket. Yeah, it has a jacket, and you like flip it over, and it like uh, has Velcro, and it stays on. Oh, I and, know what like, that is. Sorry, okay. false alarm. I know. <laughs> I know what that alarm. is. That was like I actually got like a lump in my throat whenever I heard that. <laughs> I was getting emotional um, in my old age. Yeah, that. And did you guys have to do this? I don't know why this just why this popped in my head. We used to have to put book covers. Like um yes, <gasps> right. I forgot about book covers. And you'd have to fold all your like you. Either you could buy paper, which I didn't do, or you could use um, a paper bag. Okay. And there was always like some people who could just do it perfect and their books were always so perfect. And like mine always looked so crappy and like loose and mine were never on there tight or anything. No. But you had to have them on. Like you would get in trouble if you didn't have it on your books. Yeah. I remember those days. Yes. I remember those days. Uh What? Okay. All right. Let's see if there's one more. Oh, I like this one. This is uh, Magnu1464. New shoes. Somehow I talked my mom into red go-go boots and a red plaid <laughs> book bag. It was in the 60s. I was the second grade. I love those boots. Um, oh can you imagine a little second grader in red yes. go-go boots? <laughs> I love that. That's Isn't so that adorable. I, I know. It. I wish she had a picture of that and could send it to us. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. If you do, send it to us uh, on Instagram. Mandy, do your kids have anything coming up that they're like they wanted for this school year? I don't know what's really in. I don't know either. So my older son now, he has moved phases. I'm happy to say he's moved phases. Uh, Melissa and I talked a few months back that my son was going through his hot topic phase and we went into hot topic (laughs) several times and bought several things from there and I was fine with it and whatever. But now we've moved on. So my, uh, my son's about to be 12. So he changes his Oh, yeah. Opinion on clothing. Like, yeah, exactly. Just nonstop. So now we are on a phase of uh, we're we're in the skater phase, which I'm totally I was going to guess with. that. Yes. Yeah. Which we well, he I, he really always was even right even during the hot topic phase. He was still skating and riding his bike on the fancy bike park, whatever they do um, at the skate park. And he always has been into that. So now, though, he's really into he wants to wear like skater name brands. So he all of a oh, sudden wants expensive. me to get him. I know. I know. Tell me about it. So now he's like, I want a pair of Vans. Now I want two pairs of Vans because I need one for skating and one high tops for riding my bike. So he now he's like all about that. He wants Vans t-shirts. And now he told me he doesn't want to wear all black and dark gray anymore. That was a part of his last yeah, phase. Of course. He only wanted to wear dark clothing and now he doesn't want that now he says can you please buy me but now it's like my fault right mom can you please buy me more shirts that are color I'm like well yeah like I thought you would never ask but like do you know just bought the absence of color for (laughs) like a year (laughs) yeah so uh yeah but other than that no and see like and my little one he just follows along with his big brother and oh yeah you know but I feel like kids these days don't have cool stuff like wasteful you know pen clickers yeah, and stuff like, like weird we don't have stuff that, like that really I mean slime I guess falls in kind Ooh, of into that gosh. category you know we never really I didn't do that at my house you no. did slime at your house a little bit whenever yours were smaller but not I mean, a, I not a lot I did mostly make my mother-in-law do it yeah I hated it. <laughs> um my daughter is took your son's wearing all black and she's into that <laughs> she's really into anime now and so it's a lot of her like drawing anime stuff which she's a really good artist but like asking me to guess people and I have never 
guessed one right, not because <laughs> of her art skills. She's amazing. I just cannot keep up with all the characters on these things. And like I tried to watch an anime with her and I was like, how are we enjoying this? I'm not understanding what's going on. So I'm I'm being a supportive mother and like I'm like, I'll buy it for you. I just don't yeah. get what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she's into all black and all that. So you just ride these phases out. And and my son is really into Minecraft. And um, but not like in a, you know, it's just obsession. Whatever his obsession is now. It's still Rick Astley and it's still Minecraft. It's been Minecraft for still a while. Still Rick so Astley. He wants to teach me <laughs> hacks. Still Rick Astley, where I don't know what week we're in. Time doesn't matter anymore. Going out of town, my husband was like, Oh, uh, you know, our son said that he'll sleep by himself when you're gone. And I was like, Yeah, right. If I leave and Rick Astley is not played, I'm not coming home. If if he gets away with not having to listen to Rick Astley, oh I'm just goodness. not coming back. That's maybe not he'll fair. forget about it by the time you come back. Maybe, maybe no, that's the won't. trick and it will be all gone when you come home. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. I posted on, uh, I think, Instagram and Twitter that Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up got like a billion downloads. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And my son did half of them. It's just (laughs) So it's been fun. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So school starts. I mean, school starts for us here. If school starts where you are, good luck to parents. Good luck to everybody dealing with traffic because that's always like I feel like every week, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I feel like not everyone. I feel like people that live north of us um, anyway, like they start so much later. It's so we start so early whenever I'm like thinking like, oh, my goodness, it's only the first week of August. And I have friends, you know, and and people that I just interact with that they're like, oh, my kids don't go back to school for another month. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so crazy how early our kids go back to school here. I remember when we were younger, though, we went back after Labor Day. So I don't know if it's like a hurricane thing that we keep pushing it back or what it is. But yeah, it's slowly moved back. So it's weird that it's not after Labor Day, but we get out earlier too. So I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was our episode for this week. And we will be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.